Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Black in the Saddle. I am so happy to be joined by one of my mentors, Dr. Alan Kennedy. He is a veterinarian. He works on small ruminants, so no, he's not a horse person, but y'all are going to learn a lot from him today, regardless, okay? He's actually allergic to horses. That's... <laughs> Another story for another time. <laughs> it did not hurt my feelings at all. But um, he's done so much um, for the the veterinary community, for veterinary students, especially going through NC State. So we're going to learn a little bit about that today and about what mentorship looks like and why it's important for not only the veterinary community, but for us within the Black community. So welcome to the show, Dr. Kennedy. Yeah, thank you, Abriana. I'm uh, pleased to have the opportunity and um, I was happy for your invite to participate in this. I wasn't exactly sure what I'd be <laughs> getting into, especially as you said, with the focus being on equine, but uh, certainly with the shifting gears to the mentorship side of things, I think I can certainly apply some of uh, what it is that we'll be talking about today. But you hit the nail on the head when you shared with your audience that, yeah, I am actually allergic to horses, horses and long-haired cats. <laughs> um, I will say from the start here, one of the happiest days of my life was when I graduated from uh, Tuskegee University and realized that I never, ever had to touch a cat ever again, <laughs> other than a pet one. My favorite pet happens to be the cat, but... Mm -hmm. um, I was thinking during my time at Tuskegee that I was going to have to learn horses in order to uh, make a, a living in the profession, but that's uh, when I discovered doing my internship at the University of Tennessee, which mm -hmm. was a wonderful year internship there, uh, that's where I discovered that I'm actually allergic to horses. Yeah. So there we are. <laughs> Well, you have made a huge impact regardless. So we'll let you slide. We'll let you slide on that one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. So can you start off by sharing a little bit about your journey as a veterinarian and at what point you noticed mentorship being very important? Sure. Um, my journey into the profession of veterinary medicine started primarily while I was working on a dairy farm. I grew up in Fredericksburg, Virginia, uh, working on a dairy farm that was so about 10 miles from my home. Uh, my daddy was a concrete contractor and you know he was expecting all of his sons to sort of follow in his footsteps and I realized very quickly that I didn't want anything to do with that. So I would jump on my mini bike after school and ride over to this dairy farm and I started milking cows at age 13. Mm -hmm. There I learned the art of working with cattle and milking cattle primarily, but the art of taking care of cattle was, was the main uh, thing that I got out of that. Because every time one would get sick, a cow would get sick or a calf would get sick, we'd call. Uh, the veterinarian, and uh, the vet would come take care of that sick animal, and I was the one that was always left with the charge of taking care of that animal after the veterinarian would leave. Mm -hmm. So my uh, first mentor in uh, the profession of veterinary medicine was uh, Dr. Robert Frank, who was a veterinarian at 
took care of our cows in uh, the farm that I grew up on in Fredericksburg. And that, because I, I had no intentions of even going to college after I graduated from high school. So, but the fact that I was always being charged with taking care of those animals after they got sick uh, by Dr. Frank uh, led me to realize that, okay, there's more than just milking cows going on here. And if I really wanted to take it to the next level that I really should uh, pursue a career uh, in the profession and that required me to go to college. So yeah, uh, that was my uh, inspiration from the start there. Mm-hmm. Now, I can tell you, I had more folks along my journey and pathway tell me I'd never be able to do this or never be able to do that than I had people telling me that I could. Yeah. So choosing and finding those individuals that were allies that were positive uh, role models and mentors to me was easy for me to do in a sense and that I I just let the naysayers go real fast and Mm -hmm. uh, that's my advice to others is you know when you have folks that are not in your corner that are not uh, being supportive of you and your dreams and your goals move away from those individuals and move towards the ones that are going to be those that are going to be supporting you and your um, goals and your your journey that you're pursuing uh, towards whatever uh, pathway uh, that you're choosing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You have to, you got to cut them loose um, because that's, you know, surrounding yourself. It's hard. The journey is hard enough. (laughs) So you have to surround yourself with people that are going to continue to push you and inspire you and, and challenge you in a good way. Um, to be that that better version of yourself and so after you you went to Tuskegee graduated never had to work on a cat again um what what was that next step um you know because I know a lot of veterinary students are you know going into practice um doing something else some other higher level of education um, but for you, I feel like there was a pivot into, you know, practice. And then I want to bring on more people that look like me. So, so tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, let me just take a half step back first to my time at Tuskegee, where really I got pushed in the direction that I ultimately end up taking by my mentors there, and one in particular, Dr. Kenneth Newkirk, uh, rest his soul, he was uh, asking me in my senior year of uh, veterinary school, hey, Alan, uh, would you be interested in doing this internship thing at the University of Tennessee? And I was like, absolutely not, man. When I graduate, I'm heading on to head back to Fredericksburg, and I'm going to set up my practice, and I'm going to ride around the countryside and take care of all the sick cows I can get my hands on. Well, the reality check that happened during my senior year of vet school was that when I started uh, veterinary college, there were about 15 dairy farms within a oh, uh, 20 mile radius of my home. Well, when I finished veterinary school, there were only four. Mm. And that was the compelling and driving factor for me to listen to Dr. Newkirk and say, okay, well, you know, if I'm going to make a living, you know, going back home, 
uh, to my hometown area, I'm going to have to work on something other than cows. And that's where the internship piece that he pushed me to do at the University of Tennessee came into place. And knowing that I was going to get more horse experience out of that internship in Tennessee. But like I said, that's what I got. And that's what I learned. It's that I'm allergic to horses. <laughs> so um, having that push uh, from my mentorship uh, through Dr. Kenneth Newkirk to go on to do that internship drove me to the point of my residency, which I pursued at NC State. Uh, that got me there. Um, that uh, That's where I had other mentors, uh, folks that were on my residency committee, uh, Dr. Lane Hunt, Dr. Kevin Anderson, guys that were encouraging me to pursue the path of academia where I ultimately end up going and, you know, spent the bulk of my time and career at NC State in academia. Mm -hmm. But I was also told by those uh, mentors at that time that, you know, I needed to pick one or the other, either academia or private practice. Because at that point, I was still saying, I want to go to a private practice. I want to do what it is that I'd ultimately dreamed of and set as my goal as a veterinarian to work on animals you know, and help them in the ways that I ultimately wanted to, to you know, make them feel better. So unfortunately for some, uh, but fortunately for others, that, that we can have healthy animals to eat. Yes. So, so from that perspective, um, I listened to what I was being told in a sense that, Alan, you need to do this or you need to do that. I processed that and I said, well, you know, I feel like I can do both. And I still was having in the, you know, this, these, these very wise, very smart people telling me and I needed to plan and pursue one pathway or the other, but I knew within my heart that I could do more than uh, they were ultimately telling me that I could and should do. So, and ultimately I ended up doing both. Um, I did both from the standpoint of staying in academia, staying the path uh, that I did as a administrator, as a clinician um, at NC State for several years until um, I was then asked by our college leader, Dr. Oscar Fletcher, if I would go the primary administrative role as college's director for diversity, stay there and focus on trying to get more diversity into our profession, get more underrepresented minorities that weren't interested in the profession to consider coming. Mm -hmm. And that piqued my interest to the point of saying, yeah, I can definitely do that because I know I'd had enough folks on the outside telling me I couldn't do things that I knew that I was capable and competent of doing. So I wanted to switch that, flip that switch in a sense and uh, turn it around for others who needed to have some encouragement from somebody that especially looked like them uh, that could say that they could do the things that they ultimately were capable of doing. So I, I, I clearly took that path. I did it for the 27 years that I did until I retired from NC State as their chief diversity officer this past June. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And uh, now I'm uh, continuing to do that as a uh, consultant for the college, but also focusing the time that I started 
uh, doing it back in 2004 on my clinical practice as well. So mm -hmm. uh, having that opportunity and making uh, the options available for yourselves to pursue the things that you know that you love and want to do at the same time doing the things that you know you can and should do is really what I focused and focused my time and effort and did. Yeah. Yeah. I want to uh, just take a moment to tell a story um, because I'm just so glad that you said that, that, you know, people were telling you to choose one or the other. I got a lot of that too. Like, Ariana, the, you have a list of things. You need to choose one. And it's like, mm. I tried choosing one and I could not stop thinking about everything else. So I need to choose all of them <laughs> to make myself happy. Um, but I remember... Okay, well, let me let me take a, a rewind. Um, I start. I don't even remember. I don't. You know, time doesn't exist. I don't remember when I started working with you, but <laughs> I started riding with Dr. Kennedy uh, in his small ruminant and camelid practice uh, while I was at NC State, and I remember this may have been when it was like me, Ashani, and Blue, and. Uh, Oh, I can't remember the other guy's name, but I remember us having a conversation and you asked me what, like, what do you want to do? Or maybe you asked me if I thought about teaching and I said, I, you know, I, I wouldn't mind being a teacher, but I just don't want to be in a classroom. And you said to me, who told you that teaching only happens in a classroom? And I, I don't even know if I answered because I don't know, <laughs> you know, I just, that was the, the assumption and that has stuck with me, you know, for years, it's been years. Um, and it kind of resonates with the story that you just told, you know, not having to choose just one thing, but still being able to make an impact over the multiple things that you do choose and how we kind of have this, um, you know, reel of, of assumptions that people tell us, you know, conditioning things that we learn growing up, um, that impact our, our decisions. But sometimes we have to say, you know, I just want to do it differently. Like, I don't want to do it like what you're saying. What the the vision that you see is not the same as what I see. So I just wanted to 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 share that story. I, I don't even know if you remember it, but <laughs> I do recall. And you um, know? yes, and I can tell you that you know that reflects so much on what it is that I and many others like us have experienced in a sense in that we have folks that are true mentors, but they're mentors from their lens and their life experiences. And that's what most mentors are and do. Yeah. But at the same time, a good mentor should be listening and hearing the things that you are saying as a mentee and that we or mentors sometimes only know the things that they know. We don't know what you yeah. know, and we yeah. got to listen to you and all in order to learn from you. And 
uh, we grow and develop as uh, mentors as well. But the last thing we should be doing is you're putting you all in boxes that we put ourselves in and knowing what our capabilities are and not fully knowing all your capabilities. Yes, we know some of them and we know some that you know, the mentee may not even realize yet themselves, but at the same time, you know, they're only limited. And I see this in all of the mentees that I work with, they're only limited by their imaginations and their desires and their goals on the things that they're ultimately going to be capable of doing. So yeah. Yeah, just because it's something that I could not envision or imagine myself ever doing does not uh, limit them from having the opportunities uh, to do that. So yeah. yeah, supporting them and providing the access for the options and the opportunities that a mentee really want to uh, and need to have in order to get to where they want to go is really the most important piece there. Yeah. 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 Um, in the last episode that I did, um, I, the, 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 topic or the title of it was bridging the gap between experience and education um it kind of just runs with the the theme of this this season of the podcast but with you being in academia and in practice you have been able to do that you've been able to bridge that gap and and right. provide experiences that you you will not get you know vet school you get a lot of things but you don't get everything so can you talk a little bit about why that is a priority for you oh sure i mean the real life experience options that happen outside of uh the walls of academia are extremely important for you know all uh especially those that are pursuing careers in veterinary medicine to 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 explore and experience because as I said, they, uh, I only know what I know and don't know what you know. And, you know, they don't know about all of the wonderful things that can happen in the profession until uh, they get exposed. Mm -hmm. I've had you know, hundreds of students that have written with me in my practice that have experienced the things that I enjoy doing and working with sheep, goat, llamas, and alpacas. And, and I can tell you that there are plenty of those hundreds of students that absolutely don't like it. And that's a great thing for them to experience, to come out and figure out that this is something that I don't want to do, being out in the heat or the extreme cold and these elements, you know, handling these big, you know, animals getting spat on by a llama <laughs> or, or whatever it is that goes on. It's an experience that they get to get a chance to uh learn what it is that they you know do or don't want to do uh, as far as the future of their uh, profession so uh, from that perspective yes um, it's it's invaluable that we have you know these options and opportunities for not just our underrepresented minority students but for our majority students as well to mm -hmm. come out and experience life from the lens of somebody that's different from them to get a chance to ride in that vehicle with me and you know for with the other students that maybe they've never had a chance to interact with uh, those uh, life experiences are things that we need to somehow come up with ways 
for more individuals to get these opportunities to do. And I say more individuals, um, you know, from all perspectives, but especially more of our underrepresented minority students. So we have a lot of options and opportunities out there through the different clinical practices, uh, you know, the you know, research uh, experiences um, in government, mm-hmm. you know, and even as I say in academia, to get them uh, opportunities to come and visit veterinary colleges. And I say them being our undergraduates that have an interest and want to pursue careers in veterinary medicine, our high school students, you know, our middle school students, things like having these uh, summer veterinary camp exposure experiences for them are, are extremely important um, because again, they don't know about these things until they, yeah, you see it, you hear about it, but to actually touch it and feel it and get a chance to uh, be engaged is uh, more important than reading about it in a book. So uh, it's a big difference, as you know, when you get in the truck and you get on that farm uh, versus uh, when you, you read about it. So uh, that's yeah. what I advocate for is uh, to actually let them get their hands dirty and you know, get out in the elements and experience the things you know, or get in the clinic or wherever or the lab, like I said, to yeah. uh, see what it is that's happening from uh, that uh, veterinarian's uh, perspective. Yeah, yeah, because I'll tell you, I we didn't learn that much about small ruminants in undergrad, but uh, or or camelids. But when I was riding with Dr. Kennedy and he, we went out to a llama farm and he's like, yeah, like, you, you know, you can put your face here and like hum beside him. And I just, that was one of those things I knew that I couldn't do. And I just said, can you hum for both of us? please <laughs> because I can't do that part I'll do everything else but I I can't do it <laughs> my name is Jamon Turner and this is just believe we're a youth program we host these really wild camps where kids get to kick loose meet new friends you know city kids country kids merging learning about each other see we're kind of like the superhero of camps We learn about agricultural trades, horses, cattle, all sorts of that fun stuff, you know. We don't just do Western stuff. We go hiking, camping, fishing, kayaking, pretty much anything outdoors. See, we're the middleman for the kids who can't, who don't have access to these opportunities. We find them, we plug them in, we take them. It's been great so far, but this year we have an opportunity to take it to another level. Professional instruction, higher quality trades, team challenges, awards, And with a little help from the right people, the possibilities are endless. (laughs) But what I have done, I can say, you know, I remember, you know, trying to catch goats. Luckily, they had horns. I remember having goats and uh, a horned, a horn in each hand. And I was like flying goat kites. I, you know, castrating at the the farm that the the dairy goat farm that has like a billion babies every year that 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 wet lab like you know I can say that I've done these things and because I've had these lived experiences I am writing whole children's books 
that that have characters that are heavily influenced because of the lived experiences that I've been able to have and that has directly come from mentorship. So thank you. <laughs> now, thank you for writing about it. And um, yeah, I love your books. <laughs> and I've had a chance to you know, look at all of them and see just what it is that you're putting in and out there for you know, the next generation of youngsters that may uh, follow in your footsteps and potentially mine and others as they, they read about these experiences that, uh, you know, Carmen likes to share. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, you'll, I, I can't wait this, uh, the, the fourth book, um, I have written it. I should, I, I need to send it to you. I haven't illustrated it yet, but, um, it is about Albie the alpaca and um, it's, you know, time for him to get sheared for the summer and uh, the crows, because we all know crows look the same, are picking on him because of his haircut. You know, alpacas get like the funky look. <laughs> uh, so it's, you know, a, a relevant experience when it comes to livestock. Um but it also has a lesson, you know, no bullying, you know, being confident in what you look like, not judging somebody because of what they look like. Um, it's it's the cutest little story. But um, because of, you know, the the experiences I've been able to have on the farm, I'm able to draw parallels and, and connections with, you know, something that children should be able to learn, as well as like, no, this is real life. <laughs> Like in the great escape, yeah, horses escape the fence and you have to fix the fence. Like that's what's required for this lifestyle. Um, so I think that that is just one of the ways that we can continue to bridge the gap between what is it th that we should know and learn and then actually having those hands-on experiences. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, we're in, uh, I still say we're in this, this pandemic and, um, there's a big conversation around employment and, you know, great resignation, all this stuff. There's this overwhelming sentiment. I know in my industry, as well as I think in the veterinary industry, that good help is hard to find. So when you are looking for mentees or working with people how do you know when someone is worth I don't I don't really like you know putting worth in there but basically worth pouring into well for me uh, personally I like to challenge my individuals that for example, come to me and say, hey, can I ride with you in your practice to get some exposure and experience? Um, always provide an opportunity to anybody that asks, number one. Um, I don't judge from the standpoint of, okay, if they, I ask that they send me their uh, CV. Can I read the CV or the resume and uh, want to see what it is that they have done to gauge what type of experience that they uh, potentially had and if they've had none or if they've had a lot, I'll still give the opportunity, but I gauge 
the individual based on, okay, when I say, are you, you know, let's meet at eight o'clock in the morning and you know, we're going to head off and do farm calls for the day, for example, we you know, may or may not be done uh, by you know, at this time of the year. I usually try to target noon because after 12 o'clock out in North Carolina, summertime, it's too hot. <laughs> <laughs> it's too hot for me, too hot for my patients, and yeah. definitely too hot to be putting uh, volunteers that are riding with me in the practice at uh, risk for heat stress or anything like that also. Yeah. But if the individual is late, that speaks volumes uh, yeah. to me, number one. But at the same time, I want to know why you're late, if you're late. Mm. And if you're late because you took a bus, you know, and had to, you know, do a transfer at a station to meet us at our location that we were departing from versus you're late because you overslept and you are uh, you got caught in traffic as you were driving or whatever it may be. Um, those things, I understand. You know, we're all different. You know, as a chief diversity officer, I get it. I'm not going to judge you just because you're late for the event, but I'm going to judge your how you handle being late for the event and how you uh, address you know the issues. Are you communicating uh, while you're trying to you'll get to our location and letting me know that you're running behind schedule because of the things that are going on versus just showing up and saying nothing. So accountability is really what I'm ultimately getting uh, to here and that we're all accountable for our actions. We're all accountable for the things that we do. We all need to be responsible. And that's really what I ask of anyone that's uh, going to be involved with me as a mentee in particular is that let's communicate. Let's make sure that I know who you are, what's going on in your life, things that are causing you angst, that are causing you challenges towards reaching your goal. And let's work with it. You know, let's find a way to address uh, meeting those areas of uh, deficiency that you need to have some assistance with so that we can get you there. Uh, but if you're not communicating and communicating those things that uh, really are causing you challenges, that are causing the angst, that are preventing you from you know, being all the best that you can be, I can't help you fully. So right. uh, that's what it ultimately comes down to is just, again, great communication, accepting responsibility for uh, the things that you know, we all need to accept responsibility for and getting to where we ultimately want to go. Uh, otherwise, you're not going to get there. If somebody's, <laughs> nobody's going to hand anyone anything without mm -mm. Uh, something in return in the sense of you got to be willing to put forth what it is that you need to in order to get to where you want to go in order to have others help you to get to there. Yeah, yeah. Accountability is... Uh one of my my favorite things um and i've had to um understand what that looks like kind of over and over like in in different situations so you know accountability when it comes to working in a practice um accountability uh 
in relations with my clients and then as an entrepreneur <laughs> you know you can get off get on the wayside you you don't have anyone to be accountable to but yourself so that self accountability as well um it's just so it's so critical it is i mean it's it's the driving force that most successful individuals have that has taken them to where they've gotten. So um, if you're not really feeling like you are accountable to yourself, first and foremost, uh, yeah, how can you expect others to be um, feeling like they should be uh, there in your corner when you need them also? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking about that communication, that kind of leads to my next question. Um, can you explain or share an example of why collaboration and and networking is so important for the the veterinary industry um, or as a professional as a whole? Uh, sure. Um... I guess yeah. When I, when you say networking. <laughs> There's a young man that immediately pops into uh, my mind, and uh, I'm going to call him out, uh, Dr. Patrick Barnes, uh, who's a North Carolina A&T graduate, mm -hmm. but uh, also a Tuskegee graduate. This young man um, is can write the book on networking, I can tell you, because I've seen him in action at uh, various events. I remember uh, at one of our American Association of Veterinary Medical Colleges meeting where Patrick was working the room like a champion and introducing himself to any and everyone that was willing to accept his uh, invitation to uh, get acknowledgement. And when it came down to it, after that young man graduated from Tuskegee and there were numerous job options and opportunities for him out there based on his contacts that he had made not just you know doing veterinary school at Tuskegee but at that ABMC and uh, the references and the folks that would make uh, contact with different individuals when they were checking references yeah there was I, I could tell you just anyone and everyone knew who he was yeah. so when, when uh the, you know the job references out there were calling and checking and they would ask hey you know about this uh, young man uh dr barnes and everyone would speak up and say yes yeah of course obviously he's a fantastic uh communicator and networker that you know we all knew him for that but also just a hard worker that had done all that he could needed to do to get to where he was so yeah. Again, that networking piece there, I use him as my example. Mm -hmm. But as far as um, any other form of, you know, communication piece, just, as I said, just, just knowing that if there's something that's coming up, and whether that's something is a student who's looking to apply to get into veterinary school, um, I try to make sure that they know that they need to beat those deadlines, get their applications in ahead of time, not just on, not on time or the, or the due date. Yeah. But in the process of trying to make sure that they're getting the appropriate folks that they should for being their references, 
Yeah. Uh, and that's an important piece that a lot of applicants don't tend to pay as close attention to as they should. Mm -hmm. The references should be people who know them well enough to write things about them that are going to get them in or get them to jobs or get them to places that they want to go. Yeah. Not just someone who is writing a letter, but someone's writing that excellent letter that's going to be that this person almost walks on water qualifications mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. are going to make them stand out well above and beyond any and everybody else that uh, they're talking with. So that's what I implore anyone that's you know, looking to impress me or an individual that they may be working for, working with, a volunteer for, do everything that they can to try to impress those individuals and show them all those uh, qualities that they really need to have uh, and have somebody write about them um, as yeah. a reference in order for them to get to where they want to go. So uh, yeah. don't 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 look for somebody who's going to say good things about you. Find and make yourself put yourself in a position to make them only be able to say great things about you because it hurts me. It hurts me. It hurts me to the core. For example, when I sit on an admissions committee and I'm reading letters of app, letters of recommendation from individuals that have written letters uh, for applicants to get into a veterinary program that state that they recommend that this individual does not be admitted into the program. Mm. And that happens. It happens yeah. every year that there's yeah. a recommendation that comes from somebody who thinks that uh, they are getting a good or excellent recommendation that actually keeps them from getting to where they want to go. So yeah. that doesn't uh, say that that person writing that letter is a bad person, really. Right. That says that that individual that chose him has pretty poor judgment. So yeah. it's reflective of the individual there. So that's, that's something that, you know, um, everybody needs to think about, you know, who is it that you're asking to be in your corner and how well do you know that person and how well does that person know you? Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that brings us full circle to, to how we started off this episode, you know, really making sure you know who is for you and culling the people who are not. Absolutely. Um, so what is next for Dr. Allen Kennedy? Tell me, because I want to do it too. <laughs> well, what's next? Um, I've done a lot, I feel, like uh, with my career. Mm -hmm. um, I am going to maintain some connection with NC State in some way. Uh, right now, I am still serving as a consultant for the college and uh, until they fill you know, fill my uh, position that yeah. um, I've left, mm -hmm. but at the same time, uh, keeping some connection with you know, the admissions committee with our uh, BIPOC group that we have there at the college right now. We have a record number of underrepresented students enrolled at our college, yeah. uh, which is was my primary goal for uh, my employment time there. Mm -hmm. Uh, but making sure that, again, um, those individuals that, especially the ones that I helped to get there and the ones that are coming in the future are going to have the support that they need to be successful. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be the piece that I maintain and keeping a connection there. 
Mm -hmm. I'm on the other side of the coin, the private practice. I'm going to continue to enjoy what it is that I've uh, built there and have uh, been doing as a private practitioner, working with my sheep, goat, llamas, and alpacas. And mm -hmm. I'll still provide opportunities for uh, students that are looking to gain some experience working with these animals to join me in my practice. Mm -hmm. But also the, the, the bigger and more important piece for me at this time and stage of my career is to enjoy life, enjoy the fruits of all my labor in a sense labor. that I've been working yeah. for. So I've been doing private practice as well as academia for you know, going on 30 years now. And uh, now it's time to really focus on enjoying some of those uh, you know, uh, fruits from my efforts there. I want to travel, mm -hmm. uh, get a chance to see some more places that I haven't had a chance to see on this planet. This earth's a big place. And mm -hmm. yeah, my uh, recommendations for anyone is to see as much of it as you can, because as I, as I said earlier, we, we only know what we know. And you can learn a lot from others, others uh, from different regions on this uh, planet that do things differently because we may think that we're the best and you know that there's only one way of doing things until you discover it for yourself. Yeah, you can discover things through books and through videos, as I said earlier, but mm -hmm. When you firsthand uh, get that firsthand experience, hands-on experience, being there in the culture where you got a chance to taste those flavors of the culture directly, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a completely different thing. So I have one more continent that I need to visit. That's on my list of to do, hopefully within the next year, uh, trying to make my way to Antarctica. Okay. So that, that's... That's a part of my plan is to travel, see, do, taste, and experience as much as I can yeah. um, while life has allowed me the opportunity to do so. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. I'm not, I, I'm going to wait till you get back and we can go somewhere else. <laughs> not coming to that. I would love to hear the story. <laughs> I will be glad to share it with you when it happens. Well, thank you, Dr. Kennedy, so much for coming on the podcast today. I think that this is going to really provide some perspective uh, for for my audience. Um, you know, Black in the Saddle has has evolved a little bit more. You know, we're from from just telling individual stories to really becoming a resource for the black community, especially those people who are uh, loving hanging out with horses. So I really appreciate you coming on today and, and sharing your journey with us. Absolutely, glad to have had the opportunity. Thank you, Abriana. <laughs>